Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 713 for the 2nd of October, 2020. This week, Zoom meetings has become almost the de facto standard for business meetings, conferences, webinars, and even screen sharing. It's all just talking heads, though. This is a problem that can be resolved by using PowerPoint carefully. In short circuits, if you have an application on your computer that forces you to right-click the icon and specify that it should be run as administrator, there is a way to eliminate that problem forever, and it takes only a few moments. Microsoft has been adding features to what used to be Office 365, now called Microsoft 365, features that can help students make better progress in reading, writing, math, and communications. In spare parts, only on the website, photographers have kind of a love-hate relationship with stock photography, and so do project managers. Adobe's biannual report on the state of stock photography has just been released. If the Microsoft segment this week didn't convince you that education tools are a big thing this year, a report from App Annie might do it. And 20 years ago, I may have been amazed by just how much memory could be placed in a small package in 2000. But today, there's a lot more memory in even smaller containers. Remember in-person meetings? COVID-19 has all but eliminated those, and online meetings can be deadly dull. It doesn't have to be that way, though. Today's modern online meeting apps have removed a lot of the complexity of earlier systems, so at least some of the problems are solved. We now meet by using Zoom, Skype, WebEx, GoToMeeting, Microsoft Teams, or one of many other similar applications. The current technology is far better than what we had only a few years ago. I remember participating in far too many meetings that used tens of thousands of dollars worth of specialized equipment, dedicated communications lines, and systems so complex that few people could operate them. Participants in one city couldn't hear those in another city, or couldn't see them, or something was set up wrong and there was nothing but deafening audio feedback. Even if everything worked perfectly, one group of people in a conference room simply looked at another group of people in a conference room. Unless somebody was assigned to run the camera to provide a close-up of the person speaking, people were too small to identify. Today's conferencing applications eliminate many of those problems by using the camera and microphone in each participant's computer. The current speaker is highlighted on the screen, and each user is responsible for setting up their own audio. Fortunately, the systems are all relatively easy to use. Zoom, in particular, gets very high marks for its ease of use. Zoom offers a free meetings plan that has some restrictions, and there are paid offerings that start at $150 a year. Most people who hold multi-person online meetings will need a paid account because the free offering limits meetings to just 40 minutes if there are more than three participants. 
There are no limits, however, on the number or length of two-person sessions, so those who need only one-to-one -one meetings or brief multi-participant meetings will find the basic free offering to be adequate. In addition to meetings, Zoom offers a variety of other services that are intended for large organizations. Zoom has also resolved most of the serious security issues that plagued users until late in the first quarter of 2020. Zoom Meetings is ideal for video calls while working from home, as well as for family get-togethers when the family can't really get together. Many school systems, colleges, and universities have chosen Zoom for virtual classrooms. Zoom Meetings is a good choice for work-related meetings. The free version is fine for family and personal use, and Zoom has specialized offerings for healthcare and government use. But despite the technological improvements, many online meetings are dull because they consist of nothing more than talking heads. When television was beginning to gain widespread acceptance in the 1950s, talking heads were all there were, and that was fine. If you can find some early television news programs on YouTube, you'll note three primary differences from today's news programs. The programs were in black and white, network news in the early days was just 15 minutes in length, and there were virtually no visuals. Even so, just seeing the news announcer was sufficiently novel to attract an audience. Now, though, talking heads are boring. Although talking heads are boring, that's what you'll find in most of today's online meetings, but improvements are easy to implement. Most systems allow hosts and participants to share what's on their screen, and PowerPoint is a good choice to illustrate the presenter's important points. But illustrate means more than just providing the text of the presenter's words. PowerPoint has some negative connotations, and not without reason. How many outstanding PowerPoint presentations have you attended? If you're like most people, that number is small. Maybe it's zero. Whether PowerPoint is being used for an in-person presentation or an online meeting, the presenter needs to avoid what's sometimes called death by PowerPoint. PowerPoint is not a teleprompter. A presentation that consists of a wall of text will quickly bore participants. People don't need to follow along as you read verbatim what's on the screen. You might think you're showing and telling so participants will absorb more of the information. After all, they're receiving the same information two ways, but that is exactly the problem. Presenters unwittingly confuse meeting participants by creating slides with far too much text. The part of the brain that processes text is also the part that processes speech. And our brains are abysmally slow at multitasking. Computers can switch between tasks in milliseconds. Our brains are much slower, though, so we don't really absorb what we hear if we're reading or what we read if we're listening. PowerPoint is more effective when illustrations or brief snippets of text set the stage for what the presenter is saying. One of Apple's first employees, Guy Kawasaki, who is now a venture capitalist, sits through lots of PowerPoint presentations every year. He says most of these pitches are crap. 60 slides about a patent-pending first-mover advantage. All we have to do is get 1% of the people in China to buy our product startup. Kawasaki says successful presentations have, at most, 10 slides for a 20-minute presentation, and none of the text is smaller than 30-point type. 
Nancy Duarte has written a lot of books about successful presentations. She has a three-second rule for slides. If a viewer isn't able to understand the key points of your slide in three seconds, it's too complicated. She tells her clients to think of slides as billboards. Minimal type and strong graphics carry the message. PowerPoint presentations, whether online or in a conference room, are better when there is less text on the screen. If you're explaining the history of a company or a project, a slide with the single word history is sufficient to inform the audience what you're talking about. Don't burden the meeting participants with line after line of dates and events. Adding illustrations can help too, not clip art from the 1960s, but color photographs that illustrate the point you're making. Images need to be relevant so that meeting participants won't be sidetracked trying to determine what the heck does that graphic mean? Several web-based operations offer low-cost or free images, and it is important to use one of these instead of just performing a Google search and grabbing an image you like. Using images without permission from the creator can be costly. Instead, obtain images from services such as Canva, which costs $125 a year, or from free services such as Unsplash, Pexels, or Pixabay, and there are several others, too. It's likely that we're going to be participating primarily in online meetings for the next year or so, maybe longer. Now's a good time to make your presentations stand out from the ordinary. And if you're looking for help in figuring out how to do that, check out Rick Altman's Better Presenting Annual Conference. There's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website, along with links to Canva, Unsplash, Pexels, and Pixabay. The 2020 Better Presenting event turned out to be a virtual conference, so the cost of attending was much lower than usual, and the conference videos remain online until early in 2021. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, most of us have some applications that must be run as administrator. But your account on the computer is probably already an administrator account. It's just not the administrator. Reminders to run as administrator can be annoying, and even more so if it's an application you use often. I recently uninstalled a Cronus True Image because the new system was creating severe performance issues. By severe, I mean it was nearly impossible to position the mouse cursor because of delays. By severe, I mean that even though I had turned off all of True Image's new protective measures, they were still running. By severe, I mean that even though I wasn't using True Image's online backup options, the application clogged the computer's network bandwidth with continuous messages to the cloud-based server. But that's a topic for another time. 
because I used a Cronus True Image only to create disk images of the boot drive, I installed Easiest To Do Backup. The performance problems vanished the instant I uninstalled True Image, but the Easiest Applications icon that I pinned to the taskbar wouldn't run the application because it needed administrator privileges. That meant I would have to open the start screen, find the easiest to do backup, right-click it, and choose run as administrator. Now, that's obviously not a huge problem, but it is annoying. And so I fixed it. All you need to do is find the executable file, and that's easy for most applications. Easiest to do's backup executable file was a little harder to find, if you know where the executable file is, just navigate to it with a file browser and skip the next couple of steps, or continue with the first step and you will definitely find the file you're looking for. Open the start screen and find the icon that starts the application. Right-click it and choose Open File Location. In my case, the file was in C, Program Files x86, Easiest, To Do Backup, Bin. The file will be highlighted, but caution here, it might not be the executable file. Instead, it might be a shortcut file. And that was the case for easiest to do backup. If you have a shortcut, you need to right-click it, open the shortcut tab, and choose properties. Then examine the target. The executable file will be shown at the end of the target. It was loader.exe, and it was in the same directory as the shortcut but the shortcut might point you to an executable file in another directory. So examine the full text in target, then navigate to the executable file. When you've located the executable file, right-click it and choose Properties. Then open the Compatibility tab and select Run This Program as Administrator, and click the OK button. Return to the Start screen, right-click the icon, select More, and then click pin to taskbar. There are other ways to pin icons to the taskbar, but not all of them will work properly. So it's important to go back to the start screen, right-click the icon, select more, and then click pin to taskbar right there. Now, when you start the program, it will display a user access control warning instead of displaying an error message. Problem solved. Microsoft has been quietly adding features to Microsoft 365 and even to the free online version. Many of the new features address educational needs for reading, writing, math, and communications. By the way, Microsoft 365 is the new name for Office 365. Although some of the features may seem to be intended for students with learning disabilities, and they are, they also can help all students by providing interactive guidance. If you haven't looked at educational software for a few years, things have changed a lot. Microsoft Principal Product Manager Mike Tholfson says the overarching objective is to provide tools that will benefit all students, all teachers, all parents, and all schools. The way Microsoft thinks about education is we want to allow every person on the planet to achieve more, and we want to help every student on the planet achieve more. We want to enable students to grow their independence. We want to enable educators, and in this case, parents too, to help every learner 
And all these things transition across remote learning, learning from home, and everywhere in between. Reading, writing, math, and communication. These tools aren't add-ons. They're built into the various applications, including those in the free Microsoft 365 Online. In fact, some of the features appear first in the online version. Of the four primary components, Tholfson says reading tools are key. Reading is probably the most important. It's the skill that unlocks the rest of life in terms of curriculum and accessing content. Now, the immersive reader is something that was inclusively designed initially. We said, let's take the latest science and research around dyslexia and focus inclusively on reading. We took those tools, we took those capabilities, and we built them now into Word. And it's something called the immersive reader. At the bottom, there's a play button, and I'm going to click play. The study of Earth's landforms is called physical geography. So we have word and line highlighting, and we have read aloud. And that's not a new technique, but this is now built into Word. I can open up the speed, so change it and make it read faster, make it read slower. I can choose the male voice or the female voice really easily. So the immersive reader is not only in Word. It's in Teams. It's in OneNote. It's in the Edge browser. It's in Office Lens, Forms. It's in many different places. So if you have a student at home with any sort of reading challenges or you just have a student that needs a little more assistance, the immersive reader is fully available. The writing component includes all of Microsoft's typical spelling and grammar tools, although editors scoff at these tools and with some justification, they do continue to improve. Many of the applications now include a voice-to-text dictation tool. With no training at all, the dictation feature did a good job in my uncommonly tiny test. Assuming the computer has a microphone, clicking the dictate button in the ribbon starts the process. When I said, hey, Microsoft, exclamation point, this is only a test, period, new line, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, period, new line, the result was nearly perfect. Now keep in mind when you look at the image on the TechBiter Worldwide website that this is the first time I had used the dictate function. It started the sentence with a capital letter and it capitalized Microsoft. Now one would hope that it would get that right. It also understood that I wanted an exclamation point, not the words exclamation point. At the end of the sentence I said period new line, but I didn't pause very much, so I got a new line but Word wrote the word period instead of inserting a period. It also recognized Peter Piper as a proper noun, and it capitalized both words, but it also capitalized pack and peppers. Those could be easily changed with a little manual keyboard work. The math component can display complex math formulas, and it can also solve them. A student can even ask the application to construct additional examples of a formula type with multiple choice answers. This would be useful for a student who wants some additional practice on quadratic equations or graphing. What's remarkable is that these features are being added to existing Microsoft applications without additional charge. The company has created several demonstrations to further explain the possibilities for reading, writing, math, and communications. You'll find links to all four of them on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. You won't find any quadratic equations or graphing in spare parts. Just head over to the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles.
Photographers have a love-hate relationship with stock photography, so do project managers. Adobe's biannual report on the state of stock photography has just been released. If the Microsoft segment in this week's program didn't convince you that education tools are a big thing this year, a report from App Annie might. And 20 years ago, I may have been amazed by just how much memory could be placed in a small package back in 2000. But today, there's a lot more memory in even smaller containers. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.